0: what Harley just said it was to prove a point of see I'm here I'm involved this was my plan from the very beginning Uh, and Jesus is and he will do and has done what he said he would do not necessarily because I'm not saying that because I have faith of something that I don't really know that happened it's because it was predicted all of these things that we hear about Jesus as it pertains to his death, burial, resurrection, they were all predicted. It was all predicted. It was all written down before it ever happened. In fact, Jesus, we we know of him as the Messiah, and the old covenant is filled with predictions and prophecies pointing toward a coming Messiah. There are hundreds of them. And if Jesus had only fulfilled eight, only eight, if Jesus only fulfilled eight of the Old Covenant prophecies pointing to the entire state of Texas, an area the entire state of Texas, and he would fill that area, the entire state of Texas, two feet deep, so so about this deep or so with silver dollars, and then Harley would have taken one silver dollar, colored it red, went out and, and hidden it in amongst that huge area of silver dollars. And then he would have blindfolded me, walked me out and said, okay, go out there, reach down and grab a silver dollar, still blindfolded. And then I actually was able to reach down and pick up that one red silver dollar blindfolded in an area the size of Texas buried two feet deep. That is how unbelievable Likely, from a mathematical perspective, it would be for Jesus to just fulfill eight of the Messianic prophecies in the Old Covenant. And yet, Jesus fulfilled all of them, and there were hundreds.
1: Yeah, and so for most of us today, as we're experiencing uh, Palm Sunday here together, um, we're going to be talking about something that maybe you have never, ever noticed in the Bible. But yet it is one of the most significant predictions that God had written down before it ever happened. It was a prediction. So I want you to hold on tight today as we get going because we're going to be jumping 500 years at a time because this was written way, way before it happened. And it's as if God is saying, look. See what I've done. See what I told you in advance so that you could be watching for it. And generations later, you could see it and you could believe it because it was written down way before it ever happened. So.
0: This is the same Daniel who uh, was the uh, in the lion's den. He was the same Daniel that wrote down the histories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Same guy. So we've heard of this guy by the name of Daniel who lived 500 years before Christ. 500 years. And God told Daniel to write some things down. And that's what he did. Daniel wrote down some pretty important things. And God told him to write this down. And he did it 500 years before it ever happened. And God allowed... Uh, it was a very very important thing and so just to kind of set down some historical context as to the time and the place and what's going on God had allowed Jerusalem to be sacked so that means that Jerusalem had been conquered and it had pretty much been laid desolate at this time now if you're if you're kind of a uh, a student of history like I am, because I love this period of world history, that happened in around 606 B.C. when the new Babylonian Empire, under the leadership of a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, came into town, right? And so this is kind of the context, the historical time that God has, uh, God as a nation. Now, when that happened, when Nebuchadnezzar in 606 B.C. had come into Jerusalem and sacked it, Daniel and several hundred, maybe several thousand, of kind of the best of the best and the brightest young teenagers at that time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among them. They were deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. And now the historical timeline that we're in is nearing the end of this Babylonian captivity that lasted 70 years. And Daniel, kind of to give you the timeline, Daniel is reading a book he's actually reading um, a book written by another prophet named Jeremiah and Jeremiah had written his prophecy or his prediction 200 years before Daniel ever sat down to read it
1: and so Daniel's reading this uh, prophet Jeremiah and he is understanding because of what Jeremiah said he's and what God told him to say he's understanding that this captivity this seventy years is just about over, and he knows that they're getting ready to see some freedom again. And so um, you know this uh, this is now Daniel having this reading and now having a conversation with uh, the angel. Of Gabriel, and here we are uh, with Daniel having this conversation, and um, and he gives us this prayer. Daniel's having this prayer, and Gabriel almost comes in to kind of answer that prayer, but at the end of that prayer, Daniel gives us a four verse prophecy—just a mere four verses—and in those four verses. Um, we have unquestionably the most remarkable passage in the entire Bible. And yet, for many of our folks here this morning as you're in here with us, this is going to be new to you. Um, but this passage that you never knew about, it's going to be in Daniel chapter 9 and those four verses twenty four through twenty
0: seven but before we get there before we get to toward the end of daniel chapter nine it 's important that we actually back up a few verses so that we can again get some of that context that historical context of of, of kind of the time and what Daniel was experiencing. So we're going to jump to Daniel chapter 9, but we're going to begin in verse 1. And we're going to read uh, these first four verses of Daniel chapter 9. And it says, It was the first year of the reign, Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. Now, this um, Darius the Mede, we probably, most historians, most um, theologians agree that it was probably... Um, Syaxeres II. It doesn't matter to you guys other than it was a king um, that probably fits the timeline of Darius I. Now, we're not going to be able to unpack all of that, obviously, but the important thing is we've got a year. Daniel is telling us when this took place, when chapter 9 was written. We keep on to verse 2. During the first year of his reign um, of this Darius the Mede, or probably Syaxeres II, during the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So basically, we know when it happened. And then we know what Daniel's doing. He's reading the prophecy of Jeremiah. It'd be no different than if Harley were sitting in his living room reading about Luke or reading uh, the, the book of Romans. That's what Daniel was doing. He took his Bible, if you will, and he read about the prophecy of the, of the prophet Jeremiah, which was 200 years before. And he was reading about this 70-year captivity that Daniel himself and his friends were currently experiencing. And then we continue on into verse 3, and we find out what happened as a result of Daniel's reading. So he reads, he studies, and then it moves him to act. And this is how he acts. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. So Daniel prays. Daniel doesn't just pray. Daniel, um, he beseeches God. He really gets serious about it. And in verse four, it says, this is what Daniel prayed. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. O oh Lord, you are, uh, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commandments. So Daniel confesses, Daniel asks for not only really his forgiveness, but really also Israel's forgiveness. And then he asks God to act. That's what comes next. He asks God a question. He says, when will this end? Remember, he's experiencing 70 years of Babylonian captivity. They're toward the end of it. This is probably happening around 537 or 536 B.C. That's our time period historically, if you're a date person like I am. And he asked the question, God, when will this end? When will you establish your kingdom? When will we experience, as Israel, when will we experience peace?
1: Yeah. And so Daniel continues uh, this prayer, and in verse 21, here's what Daniel records. He says, while I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Now, I want to highlight the fact that Gabriel shows up. Now, this is an angel of God, and when Gabriel shows up, something Big is about to happen because Gabriel was always a big time messenger one of God's mightiest angels and always given tasks that are related to um, some kind of announcement related to Israel and specifically announcements that were related to the Messiah of Israel so when Gabriel speaks take notice Because something big is up, something huge, something really big.
0: So as we continue in Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to jump into verse 22. And we find out basically what happened as a result of Daniel's prayer. So verse 22. Daniel says, he gave me this explanation. Who is he? Gabriel. This angel that Harley was just talking about. So Gabriel gave Daniel this explanation. And this is the words of Gabriel. Daniel... I've come now to give you understanding. I've come now to explain some things to you. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out. How cool is that? At the beginning of your prayer, that we you talked about back in Daniel chapter nine verse three, an answer went out, and I've come to give it, uh, give you it, for you are treasured by God. So consider the message and understand the vision. So basically, he says to Daniel, he says. And not only Daniel, but also the entire nation of Israel. he says, "Listen, I'm going to answer that question that Daniel asked, and I want you to think about it. I want you to understand it and and I, not only that, Harley, I want you to expect it. I want you to look for the answer. What was the question? When will peace come? That's the question. And Gabriel says, "I'm going to tell you, Daniel, I'm going to tell you Israel." But you've got to be looking for it, and you've got to expect it. So now, we're going to um, talk about some historical dates, which is like, yes, for me. I love historical dates. That's my thing. It may not be for you, but I think we can weave this in a way that will be interesting. Um, We're going to talk about some historical dates and times. And these are things, first of all, to understand, they've already happened. We're not talking about them from a prophetic perspective. We're talking about them from a historical perspective as we look back. But when they happened, it was prophetic. It was predictive. So we're going to start, and you see behind us, we kind of have, uh, we're going to try to give you a good visual as we go through this. These dates and times that we're talking about and that we're going to talk about all morning long, it's important to understand they are according to the Jewish calendar, which is different from our calendar. It's not much different, but it is different. They had a different uh, calendar than our Gregorian calendar. So it's important to understand this is the Jewish calendar. Uh, that we are using for these dates and these times that we're talking about. Now, as we jump back into Scripture, into Daniel chapter 9, we're going to start reading with verse 24. And this is what Daniel, or excuse me, this is what Daniel said Gabriel said in answer to his question, when will peace come? So here we go. Seventy weeks. Seventy weeks. Now, it's important. If you see up behind me here, you see Israel had different uh, meanings for the word weeks. Weeks. Israel could have uh, weeks of days, they could have weeks of uh, weeks, they could have weeks of months, but they could also have weeks of years. This week that Gabriel is talking about, and Daniel writes down, this is actually a week of years that he's talking about. Now, seven years was the equivalent, uh, excuse me, one week was the equivalent of seven years. So kind of get that in your mind, that seven uh, years was the equivalent of one week. And now let's jump back into Scripture. Daniel chapter 9, still in verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to wipe away iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place.
1: All right, now we're going to move to verse 25. This is a very specific prediction that is in verse 25. And he says uh, again here, Gabriel says in verse 25, now listen and understand. Now this is so important because Gabriel is saying, I want you, Daniel, and all of your ancestors for generations to listen to this, to understand this. And after I speak this, Gabriel is in essence saying, you are responsible to know this, and I want to hit pause for just a moment because uh, in about uh, fifteen or twenty minutes or so, we're going to come back to this because they didn't understand, they didn't watch for it, and it becomes a big deal. And so, say again. Oh, I got you. I got you. I'm, I'm Your big up. old head yeah. is
0: covering the screen. Ooh, I think. <laughs>
1: So, um, here's what Gabriel is saying. You are responsible now. You and your ancestors responsible to know and understand what I am telling you. And so, it's as if Gabriel is saying, I'm just giving you a heads up. I just want you to know. So, here's the first part of this very important uh, prediction. He says, seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of of seven. Now, the next blank in your listening guide is just that. Seven sets of seven and 62 sets of seven equal 69 sets of seven. 69 is the magic word. And what are those sets of seven? Those are weeks of years. 69 weeks of years will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. That, what we have just been given, what Daniel was given right there, is the starting time. A time was given to Daniel, and it's like right here, the start is going to be with the decree to to rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That is the beginning.
0: Okay, so I'm going to reread that verse because it very easily you could have been listening to that and just went, "Whoa, sixty-two, 60, What's all this stuff we're talking about?" So I'm going to reread that verse. Um, so here we go. Here it is again. Now listen and understand. So again, Gabriel, he's saying to Daniel, he's saying to Israel, he's saying to us, "Listen and understand. I'm about to give you some gold nuggets here. Right? Listen and understand. Seven sets." Uh, of seven, plus 62 sets of seven will pass. So that's 69 sets of seven, 69 times seven, you can do the quick math if you want to, will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. And this is the rest, until, so what's going to happen? Until the anointed one, the ruler, the anointed one comes. That's what the countdown is is getting to. So it begins where? It begins with the commandment, the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and then a period of, for now, we're going to explain this more, a period of 69 times 7 is going to pass in years until the anointed one comes. Wow, that's pretty specific. It's going to get even more specific, but that's pretty specific. So our sixth blank is that the countdown ends with something spectacular. It ends with the anointed one coming. The king. The promised Messiah. The prince of peace. That you've been looking for, Daniel. You wanted to know when peace was coming. Israel, you've been wanting to know when is peace going to come. I'm going to tell you, it's going to come at the end of this 69. Sets of seven. Now it's important to note because some people get this confused. The start time is not the rebuilding of the temple; it's the rebuilding of the city. And any time in the old covenant, especially, they talk about the city. They're talking about Jerusalem. So if we continue on here, we see Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses, like streets, plaza, moat. Despite the perilous time. So that's what's going to happen. Then it jumps ahead just a little bit, but we're not going to unpack that right now. We, we can't. We're going to unpack it later on during our teaching time, but I'm just going to kind of read through and finish the passage. Verse 26, After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple.
1: All right. So now let's go back to for a moment to these numbers and these years that were given To Daniel. 69 weeks of years, and remember, this is according to the Jewish calendar and the number of days all involved in that, not our calendar. So, because that is the calendar they used, and so that's why we have to go to that calendar. Um, All of these Jewish calendar days that add up to this 69 weeks of years together. Those days total, 173,880 days. That's the magic number. That
0: is very specific. (laughs) That
1: is very specific. That is the number that it adds up to. When Daniel put that together, when he heard that from Gabriel, put it together, that's the number.
0: So just so I'm clear, from the time that the city is to be rebuilt to the anointed one comes, that period, and we're going to talk about it, 173,880 days.
1: He gives a very specific amount of time, and that is the starting point, and that is the blank number eight. That is the decree. The starting point is the decree. So you see here we have on the top left the decree, and that's just pointing to that X. So that X is is the start. This X over here is the end, and we're just going to hang out right here for just a moment at number eight, and that is where we're going to begin. And you see Cole mentioned, we have this timeline, and so from the green X to the red X, from the start to the finish, 173, 880, thousand days.
0: So we're going to stay here for a minute. So Ken, you might just stay on this shot so we can keep the screen up yeah, just for a few for, moments. For a few moments.
1: We are going to, we're going to be here for just a moment. Um, so we have, you see the decree, that's when it starts. And then right over here, number nine, the anointed one, that X, that is where um, it all is pointing to 173,880 days in between that. And in effect, Gabriel told Daniel the exact number of days between the commandment to rebuild, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, and the presentation of the Anointed One, that is, the Messiah, the King, the presentation of the Anointed One as King, And that exact number of days, 173,880 days right there. That's it.
0: So, awesome, right? So specific, 173,880,000. That's how long between these two events. Event number one, the decree. Event number two, the anointed one. So, now, let's watch the prediction written, remember, 500 years before Jesus was born, Let's watch it unfold. Now, before, though, real quick, I just want to say this. There's a lot of people, skeptics of the, of the Bible, that the one thing they can't get around is the, the, spec, the specificity of this. And so to get around it, what they've actually begun to do is say, Daniel is not a prophetic book. Daniel was written as a history book. Well, first of all, that's not true. But even if you want to accept that belief, This stuff here is recorded in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which was written 300 years before it actually happened. So whether you want to go Daniel 500 or you want to go the Septuagint 300, there's no getting around the the specifics of these um, predictions in these prophecies. So I'm going to jump into the beginning, the decree. When does the 173,880 days actually begin? To find that out, we have to jump to a book we talked about in February, which is the book of Nehemiah. So let's jump to Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to read the first nine verses of that chapter. Now it's important to know, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. He was the cupbearer, which really was a fancy way of saying he was the taste tester. He would drink the drink and eat the food before the king. And if he died, the king would need it because it was to protect the king. So, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, like the car, (laughs) in the month of Nisan, so we know the month. The month of Nisan is... Somewhere in the from the mi- of our calendar, mid March to mid April. So we know the time of year, the month that Nehemiah is writing this during the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. Now we know the year. Now we know the year we're dealing with because historically speaking, phil- um, uh, as far as history tells us, world history tells us, this is the year around 445 BC. Okay, those are important dates. So the month of Nisan in the year 445 B.C. This is what happened. I was serving the king as wine, which makes sense because he was the cupbearer. I was serving the king as wine, and, uh, and I appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? Why don't, You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified because he was fixing to tell him a pretty big, uh, pretty big deal. He was fixing to make a pretty big ask of King Artaxerxes. But I replied, long live the king. Because that's what you have to say to a king. Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. What city? Jerusalem. Always Jerusalem. Destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king. And if you are pleased with me, your servant. Send me to Judah to rebuild the city. There it is. 445 B.C. in the month of Nisan. Rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long are you going to be gone and when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, If it pleased the king, Listen to this. Remember, Gabriel's exact words were the decree to, build the, to rebuild the city. If it pleased the king, let me have letters making it an official decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's force, instructing him to give me timber, I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me.
1: It's as if God is holding a stopwatch in one hand and a calendar in the other hand. And at this very moment, as soon as that decree was written, the stopwatch starts, the calendar begins flipping through those days, one day, two days, three days. It all begins. Because the details, we have it. We have it written in the book of Daniel. And these are historical details facts it was a prediction and we just read how that started as in Nehemiah' is a historical fact at that moment and that uh, that that date of that decree because of things we know about history that date was March 14th 445 BC and that is blank number 10 on your listening guide the clock starts at March 14th 445 BC. Now,
0: Now we don't want you to get too wrapped up on those very specific dates, March 14th, and we're going to throw some other ones out there. We don't want to get too wrapped up on that. What we want you to wrap up on is this 173,880 days, the beginning, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, and the ending, the anointed one comes. Now, we're going to get more specific, but those are the three things that matter the most. Now, That decree that we're talking about, that's the decree that Gabriel told Daniel about. Remember, we read about it in Daniel chapter 9. So the stopwatch has started ticking. The countdown as of Nehemiah's writing on March the 14th, 445 B.C., the countdown has begun. And 173,880 days later, something huge, something important has to happen, or God's a liar, and that ain't happening. Something big has to happen. So what was it? When was it? Maybe as as good of a question. Well, it's interesting you should ask. During the ministry of Jesus, during his earthly ministry that he was on this earth, there were many occasions, several, several occasions where different people would try to come to Jesus and would try to Promote him as the King of Israel. The King, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Son of God. Several times people tried to promote Jesus in that way. But Jesus was very, very careful. If we read the New Covenant and if you read it, you'll see he was very, very careful not to let that happen, to avoid that phrasing at that time. And many times if we read the New Covenant, we'll hear Jesus speak the words, My hour is not yet come. Now, What we're talking about, we're just amazed that we can get it down to the day, you know. God has this thing timed down to the hour, like 2 o'clock on March 14th, 445 B.C. I I don't know. But Jesus said, my hour is not yet come, but 173,880 days after the decree of, that Nehemiah talked about on March the 14th, 445 B.C., 173,000, 880 days later was a very special date. It was the date, April 6th, 32 A.D.
1: That was a date. That's a big date. Again, we don't want you to get hung up on that hour calendar version of that date. Because there are some discrepancies between our calendar and the Jewish calendar. So there are some differences. So Cole was right when he said, let's focus on that 173,880 days because there is no discrepancy there. But this is pretty much that date from 173,880 days. That was from the moment the decree was given. 173,880 days later, we land here at this moment. The anointed one comes. This is the event. Um, And we find this described perfectly in the scriptures. And so let's go to the scriptures. Blank number 12, Luke 19, verses 29 through 44 is where we find this point right here. And let's just read through it. So the, the uh, apostles and Jesus are approaching Jerusalem, and they are headed to the Mount of Olives at this moment. And here's what Jesus says at the end of verse 29. He sent two disciples ahead. And here's what he had them do in verse 30. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied uh, there that no one has ever ridden untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. That sounds a little weird, but that is not them stealing the donkey. That is a description of kind of the code word that they were to give. It was a code. It was prearranged. They would tell this code word and they would be able to take the donkey.
0: So jumping into verse 32, this is what happened. So they went and found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. Now what we are describing, or I should say what Luke is describing, And what we are reading is the anointed one, the Messiah being presented and treated as and declared as the king to all of Jerusalem. March 14th, 445 B.C., just as Gabriel told Daniel 500 years before it happened, that starts the countdown. 173,880 days later, we arrive at April the 6th, 32 AD. And just as Gabriel told Daniel, and he wrote down 500 years before, the anointed one is being presented to Israel. Now, this event, it was actually written about before and described before it ever happened. So, we're going to jump to another prophecy. Now, that one by itself is amazing. It's beyond my human capacity to understand. But we're going to jump to the actual description of this event written hundreds of years before it happened. We're going to jump to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is what the minor prophet Zechariah said. He says, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look! Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, and as if that wasn't enough, riding on a donkey's colt.
1: There we go, an unridden donkey. And here, that is the, the prediction... And here we are back in Luke again as we see this actually happening and coming true. And here it is, Luke, back to Luke 19. When they reached the place, this is Jesus and his disciples, they went and they got that uh, unridden donkey and he is, Jesus is on it. When they reached the place where the road started down, the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout. This is where we get the term, Palm Sunday, all of his followers began to shout and sing. Now this is unfolding exactly as Zachariah had described it would happen. This, it is actually happening now. And um, just as he stated it, they began to shout, they began to sing, and here's what, here's how it plays out in Luke. As they walked along Praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Here we go. They're shouting and singing. Verse 38. And
0: don't forget this wording.
1: Yeah. Don't yeah. forget this. Yeah. We're coming back to it. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven.
0: If you're not convinced yet, I'm going to take you to another scripture. The 118th Psalm. Okay. Now, this day that we're talking about, Palm Sunday, we call it Palm Sunday, today is Palm Sunday, the, the Sunday before Easter, but we're talking right now in the context of, for just to keep it simple, April 6th, 32 AD, the day that, based on our math, has Jesus, the anointed one, riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, Okay? It was written about before it ever happened. 27th verse, this is what it says. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. Verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made. Now, we've actually really screwed that up <laughs> in, in, in our culture today because there's actually a song. This is the day, right? We've sung it. We've all sung That song is totally wrong because it's not talking about just any day. Talk about April 5th, yeah. 2020 is not the day the Lord has made as far as that psalm is talking about. That psalm, Psalm 118, verse 24, is, when it says this is the day it's talking about, April the 6th, 32 A.D. Not just any day on the calendar, one very specific day. The anointed one is presented as king. Now we'll continue reading it. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We all know that. We all (laughs) sang it. (laughs) Verse 25, please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Now listen to this. Verse 26, bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Exactly what Luke tells us was being said. That's not a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind bind it with cords on the altar. The psalmist here is describing exactly what was going to happen on this Our Chosen Date for this teaching. April 6th, 32 AD, the psalmist is telling us exactly what's going to happen. And guess what? That is exactly what the crowd shouted as Jesus the anointed one, rode into Jerusalem to be presented as king on a donkey.
1: Yeah, and the people... I My
0: think, mind's blown, yeah. Arlie.
1: This is, this is amazing. <laughs> and so here's, here's how it continues to play out. So Jesus is riding in, and it says in verse 39, but some of the Pharisees... Now, the Pharisees... They knew what was going they on. They knew what was going on. Right. They, they knew the Bible, they had most of it, they knew
0: psalm 18 as good as anybody
1: yes and they knew what it represented and meant and they they were now alarmed and they were getting upset and they recognized what was happening so it says some of the pharisees among the crowd said teacher speaking to jesus rebuke Your followers for saying things like that. It wasn't just that they were saying things, it was that they were saying those things.
0: And and Jesus had never rebuked people for proclaiming him king, but he had never really allowed it to happen.
1: Right. Until today. At this moment. This was the hour. And these Pharisees, they knew Psalm 118, and they knew what the people were declaring as they were saying, under these circumstances. They were declaring, Jesus Christ, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are our King, our Messiah, our King. And this infuriated the Pharisees. And Jesus now responds to them. I, I, he, he, Jesus responds to them and he, he replied in verse 40, If they keep quiet the stones along the road will burst into cheers. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen guys, if these people refuse to say what they are saying out of Psalm 118, if they refuse to declare it, then the rocks around me, they are going to loudly declare it because it was written. And it was predicted by God that this would be shouted that this would happen. So Jesus is saying it's going to happen one way or another it's going to happen. The people will shout it or the rocks are going to shout it because God predicted this would be shouted.
0: So think about this. Again if you're watching right now or listening right now and you're skeptical. I understand. If You're skeptical of this whole God thing that we talk about this is the real deal how could Daniel have known these things in detail in advance of his own even if you want to say I don't know about Daniel the Septuagint 300 years before says the same thing so Daniel had to have said it predictively how could he have done that how could anyone have schemed the details That are predicted or that uh, have been documented over three, at least three centuries in advance. How could anybody have gotten those those details predicted so perfectly? No man could have predicted this. Because this is God's thumbprint on history. He's like he's saying, see, guys, I told you. This is, this is it. This is me. This has been my plan from the beginning. And it blows my mind.
1: Yeah, me too. And you know it's not over yet. Jesus is still in this part of uh, the story here. He's still on the donkey. And it's not over. Let's keep reading. in Verse 41. But as they came closer to Jerusalem, and Jesus saw the city ahead, he began to weep. And we need to understand, this word that is used in the Greek for weeping, it is not, uh, it is not like just a, a tear flowing down his cheek. This is immense, deep sobbing. Jesus, it's describing... With this word, he wailed out loud. Now, don't miss this. During this celebration, these people are ecstatic. They are celebrating Jesus, the Messiah, the King. He's being presented to Israel, declared by Israel. And in this celebration, he stops and he cries deeply. And here's why. This is what we said. Don't forget this in Daniel Now in verse 42, Jesus is pointing them back to Daniel. Jesus says, how I wish today, and he's wailing that you, of all people, you Israelites, that you would understand the way to peace.
0: For centuries,
1: the Israelites had been
0: begging for peace. Remember, from the time that they had left Egypt in the Exodus, they have experienced very small periods of peace. A big chunk of their nation's history has been very tumultuous. They've been asking for peace. When is peace coming? When are we going to experience this? And five hundred years before this event, five hundred years before Daniel was longing for the same thing. Remember, let's go back to Daniel chapter one verse three, or chapter nine verse three. He was reading the prophet Jeremiah, realized they were at the end of the 70 years in captivity, and then he prayed, God, when's it all going to be a culmination? When are we going to experience peace? When is your kingdom going to be set up? When is your kingdom of peace going to arrive? And then Gabriel answered. God answered at the moment, in that moment. And Gabriel said, remember, Daniel chapter 9, verse, I believe, 23, 223 somewhere in there. Gabriel said, "Daniel, Israel, Harley, every understand this. Hear me, look for it, expect it from the day that it is decreed to rebuild the city until peace comes, until the anointed one is presented as your king and as your god." 173,880 days will pass. Gabriel said, count it down. Mark it in, you'll know, put it down in permanent ink. Watch for it. See what happens. Be ready, because it's going to happen. And then on March the 14th, 445 B.C., Artaxerxes tells Nehemiah, go rebuild the city. 173,880 days later, on April the 6th, 32 A.D., just like Gabriel said it would happen, just like Daniel wrote it down 500 years before, Jesus is presented to the people. And then, it makes a lot of sense why Jesus would use those words. And he would say, How I wish today, Israel, that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now, it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes.
1: He says it's hidden. What a scary thing. He said, because you weren't watching for it, because you weren't looking for it, even after I told you, specifically, I gave you the days. I gave you the calendar, the stopwatch, when it would start, when it would stop, and because you didn't see it, you are too late for now. Oh, what dreadful words. What dreadful words for someone to hear out of the mouth of Christ. And my friends, I pause here for just a moment to say this, please, before you ever hear Jesus say, but now it's too late, would you submit to Jesus the moment you feel him nudge, move your heart? Now let's hit pause right here because Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees, it's too late for you right now. And so let's flash back it was predicted before it ever happened. What we're getting ready to read uh, in Daniel chapter nine, verse twenty-six. Here's another prediction. Cole, take us.
0: So that back one. to Daniel. We're jumping back into Daniel chapter nine. This is these are the words of of Daniel. The people of the coming prince will Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed again. It was destroyed the first time in 606 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar and the New Babylonian Empire, and it's going to be destroyed again. And Jesus says the very same thing. Jesus says the very same thing. And in, in Luke chapter 19, as Jesus is being presented as the king, Jesus says in Luke 19, verse 43, he says, Before long, speaking to Israel, before long your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on, on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation.
1: Yeah, that was predicted before it ever happened. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The nation of Israel as a whole, because you did not recognize that the king was being presented, the Messiah, the Messiah was being presented, the anointed one, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And this happened, just like it was written. And it was written hundreds of years after Daniel uh, wrote what he wrote, 38 years after Jesus said it. In A.D. 70, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed and we're told because they didn't listen to Daniel.
0: Now, if we jump back again, To Daniel, if you're not convinced yet, his prediction continues. Because remember, April the 6th, 32 AD, the triumphal entry, Jesus is presented as the king, as the son of God, just as Daniel said would happen in exactly the correct time frame, that 173,880 days from the decree to rebuild to Jesus, Palm Sunday, just as he said would happen. But then, on April the 9th, Three days later, Jesus, the king, would die as the king of the Jews. And once again, Daniel predicted it. Chapter 20, uh, verse 26 of Daniel chapter 9. After this period of 62 sets of seven, so after the anointed one, after uh, Jesus, the Messiah, is presented as king. After that happens, after the period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. Jesus was only a handful of hours away from his death when he was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as the triumphant king. And then we continue on, because to me, this is as powerful of a statement as any. Appearing to have accomplished nothing.
1: Yeah, wow. That's the way it looked in that moment. It appeared as this anointed one, this Messiah, is presented to Israel, and then three days later, he's, he's dead. It looked like a tragedy. It looked like a bad ending. It, it, it looked like a failure. God's greatest triumph as God presented his sacrifice, Jesus, on the altar for you and for me. And for the entire world. It was for all of those who would choose to admit. That they need God. And they need God's sacrifice. The death of Jesus. It looked like a tragedy. It looked like it was all for nothing. But it was God's triumph. And 500 years before Jesus died on the cross before that moment looked like a tragedy it was already God's triumph he had already written about it told us about it that's what we read in Daniel we were told the exact number of days from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to the day that Jesus would be presented as the Messiah the anointed one and here's my question What are we going to do with that? That is no accident. That is no small thing. That is no just casual information. What are we going to do with that? Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a moral man. He was not just a teacher. Not just a rabbi. Jesus is God who came to this earth. His creation As a sacrifice. He came here to sacrifice Himself. That's why He came. So that everyone who believes in Him, who chooses to follow Him, will be saved. He came to prove that He's the Messiah. The way He came and fulfilled every prophecy about His coming. Now, here's the question. What are you going to do with that? That amazing information. What are you going to do with Jesus, the Messiah, today? What are you going to do with Jesus? So what's a step for you? If you never have to this point, I'm asking you this morning, will you declare Jesus your King? Will you declare Him your Messiah As Daniel prayed in the early parts of Daniel, he said, I prayed to the Lord my God and I confess." So that's the first thing I would ask you to do this morning. Will you just confess to God? Will you confess to God that you need him? He goes on to say in verse 5, he says, we have all sinned and done wrong. And you know what? Today, that's our confession. God, I have sinned. I have left your plan. I have lived my own life my way. I have done wrong. He goes on to say in verse 6 to God, We have refused to listen to you. And that's what I have done in my life so many times. God, I have sinned. I have listened to myself. I have not listened to you. And then Daniel declares in verse 19, Oh Lord, hear my cry. Hear me, oh Lord, and forgive me. That's what, what he says. Forgive me. And, and, and my question for you. Is that the step you need to take today for the first time? To say, God, you are who you say you are. You have done what you said you will do. You will do what you have said you will do. God, this life of mine, I'm going to give it to you. You are my king. You are the boss of my life. If you've never taken that step towards Jesus, my prayer is that you are doing that right now as I speak, that that is what your heart is crying out to God. God, I choose you. You died for me. We call that at Stuttgart Harvest Church. We call it becoming a Christ follower. And some of you need to take that step right now at this moment and step past that doubt and choose to believe that Jesus, Jesus came to die for you. My hope is that that is what you're doing at this very moment. And if that's what you're doing, will you please, please, please let us know on your connection card. Let us know. Let us know that you are choosing to make Jesus the boss of your life. That you're choosing to say, I believe that you, Jesus, are God's son. That you came to this earth to die for the sins of the world. And that includes my sins. And because of that, right now in my heart, in my life, I give you this life that you've given me. I give it back to you. I was following my way, and now I'm going to follow your way. I was following me, and now I am going to follow you, Jesus. If that is what your heart is saying, please let us know on your connection card. You know, what we read this morning, it all happened on what we now have described as Palm Sunday. And that's what we celebrate today. On our calendar today. This is Palm Sunday. And we're just going to ask you, would you share this teaching in a private message or publicly on your Facebook page? Would you share this with your family and friends? This incredible demonstration of who Jesus really is and the significance of this day, Palm Sunday, to every single one of us. And I'm going to go beyond that. This week, as we get ready for Resurrection Sunday, what we have called Easter Sunday, as we get ready for this day, this next Sunday, will you, Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, will you make a post on Facebook? A, a written post would be okay. I would encourage you to do even maybe a Facebook Live or an Instagram post, or just but just put it out there either a post or Facebook Live? And would you let people know? Here's what I'm asking you to let them know. Will you let them know that Jesus is God who died for the sins of the world? And would you let them know, as you're speaking, Jesus, when He died for the sins of the world, He also died for me. And because of that, I have given Him my life. And I am now a follower of Jesus. Would you tell your Facebook world, that, with love and kindness? And would you also let them know that He is still changing me right now and He is still in the process of rearranging me? And then will you tell them, I want you to know this, my friends and my family on Facebook, will you tell them this? I'm inviting you to participate with me. Join me. And participate with Stuttgart Harvest Church on Easter Sunday, this next Sunday. And just will you, your home and me from my home, will you participate with us together next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You see, God did come to live among us. And he did that so that he could go to the cross and die in our place. And that was amazing grace indeed. And that is written in red. And I'm going to ask you as our prayer this morning, please don't leave yet. We still have an experience together. But I'm going to ask you, would you sing this song with our band as your prayer this morning? Sing this with us.